Hey guys, what's up? This is Aaron from Sets in the City. Welcome to a new episode tonight. First time on my own, no one else around tonight, so I decided to do one for my very first time on my own. Let's see how we go. Um, no one sort of around, so I thought we'd get cracking and into it tonight. Um, plenty to talk about. If you haven't listened to Sets in the City before, it's a tennis podcast. All we do is have a bit of fun bit of banter, talk a bit of tennis, and anything can happen along the way. Um, we have an episode already ready to be uploaded before this episode. This episode actually might get uploaded before the episode that we recorded a couple of weeks ago at Taylor's Lakes Tennis, tennis Club. Um, bit of a, This is a bit of a quick one on my own tonight. Probably won't be an overly long podcast, but I did promise myself in 2018 that we'd get more I'd have more podcasts happening this year than I have, um, so I want to try a little bit, be a little bit more consistent, um, be a little bit more consistent and get my words out too. Um, uh, there's plenty happening at the moment in tennis, um, there's always plenty to talk about, uh, we're leading into Wimbledon, we've had the, since our last podcast, uh, we've had the French Open run and won, um, in the men's side of course, we had the great King of Clay, Rafael Nadal take out his 11th French Open title, and we finally had Simona Halep win her first Grand Slam, which was exciting for her. Uh, while I don't want to spend all the time talking about Nadal, Nadal's fantastic 11th Grand Slam title, what a what a performance, what an effort. Um, the guy is a freak, obviously, uh, just the greatest clay court player on clay we've seen. I want to start the debate. Um, I know it's. I know people like to talk about it. Is he as great as Roger Federer? He's probably not. Federer's probably still got the wood on him um, in terms of probably the greatest player that we've seen. But I think Nadal is starting to come into the conversation. Um, people will probably say that, you know, being on one surface, having won 11 titles on the one surface, clearly he's better on that surface than any other surface. Um, is he as good? Does it make him as good because he hasn't won as much at the Australian, at, at the, he has won a few US Open titles. He's obviously won a couple of Wimbledon's as well. Um, however, of course, the surface at, at Wimbledon is slightly different these days than what it used to be. It's a bit more, It's the grass is harder, well, the ground is harder, grass is uh, a little bit tougher, I believe. I'm no expert when it comes to the grass knowledge about what the sort of grass surface they the types of grass that they use at Wimbledon but I believe that it is a tougher grass than what it used to be many years ago um I was reading an article the other day by the great uh, Rod Laver who was saying that the grass was a lot more slipperier back in his day um I believe that's changed over the years so obviously more conducive to bounce more conducive for the uh, clay quarters coming out and playing Wimbledon I think that's the idea of what they obviously want to happen um, many years ago, I think we had guys like Guga Curtin going winning French and then uh, taking a holiday for two months and not playing any grass court tournament. However, saying all that, we do have arguably the greatest player of all time in Roger Federer deciding not to play clay. Um, it's pretty amazing that you can you can skip the clay court season, um, walk into Wimbledon and still be the number one player in the world. But I guess that's just the way the point system goes. Um, needless, needless to say, it was a great tournament, the French. Um, fantastic tennis all round. We had some great matches. I think Dominic team getting to his first final. I thought he was actually going to 
be a bit of a threat against Nadal. Um, I thought the match in itself in the final was pretty tough. Uh, team was certainly in most of the sets, but I think Nadal's toughness obviously won out in the crucial moments. Um, and in the end, it was a pretty straightforward sort of win for Nadal. However, I think the nerves and the moment probably come into play as well. I think team was... He seems to play fairly tight and uptight, you could say, um, in tough matches. It doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't win those tough matches, but it looked like it was a bit intense out there for him on the day. Um, but I think he's certainly made some great steps in the clay court season. I was a little bit disappointed with uh, Zevrev. I thought he obviously had a great clay season. Um, I think he won, uh, he won Hamburg or... Munich, I think it was. I'm probably getting my tournaments mixed up a bit there. Um, also went into had a great had a great event at Monte Carlo and Rome, and then went into the French. and He sort of struggled um, from the get go. I thought he had really had some tough five set matches in a three in a row. I think it was, um, and he sort of really, I think his fatigue maybe came out a little bit in the end there, where he really sort of he obviously had that slight injury. Um, in that match against team. So maybe that was a bit of a sort of a telltale sign in the end that he sort of struggled a bit. Uh, I don't know if it's nerves, but I'd like to hope that he's going to get better in those big moments because I think he's the sort of player that tennis needs. I think he's a great player who's going to be around for a while to come and hopefully he'll definitely be one of those guys that's going to win some slams. He's certainly got the ability to be one of the top players in the next few years. And um, I think that'll just be a matter of time for him really. Uh, we had some we had some pretty good tennis in the women's as well. Some interesting matches. Wozniacki went out reasonably early. Maybe French the French Open isn't as kind to her, but I thought there was a couple of players in that event that really would have had opportunities. Stoza had some opportunities from an Australian point of view. Um, the girls like Svinolina, uh, Pliskova. I thought Pliskova might have done a little bit better. She hasn't probably come on as what most people thought. Um, she's a big server. We know she's got the big serve. Maybe going into Wimbledon, maybe she might be able to go a little bit deeper into the second week. Um, but I think she probably needs to get some more consistent results around the Grand Slam um, time of year. Halep obviously was courageous in her victory. I thought it was interesting how she dispatched Muguruza in the semifinal uh, pretty easily, really after... Uh, Muguruza dispatched Sharapova extraordinary the match before um, in what was just an incredible display of hitting power by um, Muguruza but then Halep just tore her apart as well the next match I don't know if that was I don't know if that was nerves or if that's just a mental mental thing that she couldn't get up for the next match she's certainly got the ability everyone knows that um, it's been interesting though to see the rise again of Sloane Stevens. Um, having won the US Open a few years ago, and then I believe that that Stevens struggled something like something ridiculous, like thirteen first round losses or something like that. I don't know how accurate those numbers are, but she really struggled, and then she came into it again in the French Open. She was really, I think, hitting in the in terms of the final, was really hitting the cover off the ball in the first set and really dictating play. Um, I think she really went away. I don't know if she tightened up. She really went away from that in the second um, second set. She wasn't hitting the lines as much, hitting down the middle of the court. I think that was quite evident. I think there was a lot of talk 
about that on the TV, on the commentary. Um, and that really just played into Halep's hands in the end. And I think she was hitting the ball a lot, I think a lot harder than Halep um, in the first set. And I think the, 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 the differential was something like like 10 Ks harder um, in terms of her ground strokes, um, which really should have pushed Halep off the court. But she managed to claim that first set. I thought she was on her way um, to taking the title. But I don't think she was disappointed. She's, it's been a great return to form for her. And um, she'll hopefully continue on with that. It's exciting for women's tennis. Um, but leading into the grass court season, who knows? Anything could happen with Wimbledon a week away. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. So we've had some pretty good tennis over the last few weeks. We've had we've had some Aussies doing well. Barty and um, Alex Stimenor won both their lead-up tournament, a couple of lead-up tournaments in the last week, which is pretty exciting. Um, Stimenor is now obviously cracked into the top 100 and is really moving along. So he's exciting. Looking forward to seeing more of him in the next 12 months, coming back to Australia in January. Be a little bit more pressure, but it's going to be interesting to see how he goes. Um, Kyrgios is obviously injuries have been documented. He's um, he's obviously got the talent. Some of the crazy stuff we've seen this week on court with his tweeners, he he has no no problem in executing those shots, and he likes to play that way. And some people some people like it, some people hate it, um, but he still gets the job done. It's maybe unorthodox, but. Still gets the job done. It's, he's consistently doing well, but as many people have said, he probably needs to spend more time out on the court and hopefully his body can sort of start to get a bit more tailored to the season and and get through those matches. I know it's uh, Tuesday night here in Melbourne and Kokonakis and I think Tommy both won their first round in qualies at Wimbledon um, last night. So that's, that's good news for the Aussie guys. Tomic's obviously, by the looks of it, is trying, trying to get back into the game and trying to put a foot forward. Um, so that's pretty much a rundown of what's been happening. Um, I, haven't, I don't know if I took a breath too much there, but it's been a bit of a rundown of what's been happening on the tour. Um, it's been pretty exciting stuff locally here for us in Melbourne and in the north suburbs where we're based out of. We've got plenty happening in terms of junior tennis and my involvement with, uh, I guess, the Northern Suburbs Tennis Association, we've got we've had finals just occur over the last week, uh, last two weekends, and in terms of NSJTA or North Suburban um, events coming up, we're moving into the um, AJL, which is the what we used to be the junior pennant. Um, league, which is coming up um, starting in August. Entries are open for that now. You can check that out on the NSJTA website at nsjta.asn.au. You can sign up there under the events link. There's a application form online um, for people to fill out, but that's just part of what we do in the, the north here. Um, but this is setsinthecity.com. That's setsinthecity.com. You can find us uh, at setsinthecity.com on the website. We're also obviously on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all these social media channels. Check us out. Like, comment, do whatever you want. Um, we want people to get involved. I want people to get involved in this show. It's all a bit of fun, as I mentioned off the top. It's all a bit of fun, this show. 
there's nothing too serious. There's no there's no uh, financial gain for me. It's all a bit of fun. We get a lot of people on board that we know. It's great to get some of the NSJTA kids involved in the show as well from our from some of our junior representative teams. Uh, in an episode that's that I've got to upload, that's uh, hopefully I'll have for you guys pretty soon. Um, we caught up at Taylor's Lakes, as I mentioned earlier at the start of this at the start of this podcast. We caught up at Taylor's Lakes a few weekends ago with a few people. We had Sets in the City's very own Bobby De La Cruz on with us, and we had uh, Matt Gregory's social media guy, uh, Jared Dalbon, spent a bit of time with us as well. That'll be something to look forward to. Jared's pretty good at his stuff, um, and he's pretty good behind the mic as well. Uh, we also caught up with um, Taylor's Lakes uh, president, um, Rick Delbon as well. Rick's a great guy, doing good things at Taylor's Lakes Tennis Club, along with Bobby, um, and we had a bit of a chat as well. So that with that episode will hopefully I'll get uploaded tonight, guys. Um, there's plenty happening anyway in junior tennis around, our, you know, as I said, in our local suburbs. I want to touch on a few topics in the next um, coming episodes of Sets in the City. Um, there's plenty of things happening online at the moment. There's been some interesting chatter um, and discussion going on about a few different subjects, which are pretty interesting. Um, they can get quite heated at times when people talk about it. Uh, we're talking about two topics which are interesting, which is, uh, I guess, the junior ranking points, um, which seems to be a huge sort of, um, I guess a push for kids to want to always chase points. Um, whether that's good or bad, uh, it's often often up for debate with people. How that happens, um, whether it's, you know, kids often... We all want kids to strive for their goals. There's no doubt about that. I don't think people can question, you know, kids wanting to strive for goals. It's a very interesting topic, though, because you could argue that um, we've seen a massive surge in... Uh, junior points tournaments going around, um, going around everywhere really, in the suburbs. Um, obviously, there's, you know, there's tournaments run certain levels of tournaments. Um, kids always playing, wanting to play tournaments for ranking points. Whether that's, you know, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, I don't know if it's really sort of been good for club tennis. Uh, Club tennis is has always been a big thing. I think tennis clubs, you know, we've we've got a pretty big population of tennis clubs. I think it's something like sixty percent or seventy percent. I might be wrong, but I think it's something like seventy percent of of national clubs. I think come from Victoria. Um, I don't know if that's entirely right. It might be a bit high. I might be a bit wrong on that, but I know it's pretty. I know it's pretty decent. Um, and club tennis. I remember when I was. I'm now forty. I know club tennis back in the day was pretty big when I was growing up. You played for your club, you loved your club, all you wanted to do was play to represent your club. Now it's not so much. Now I think there's been a trend away from that. Um, we're seeing now kids not necessarily competition for playing for your club, playing in the local association competition isn't necessarily um, everything these days. Um, as I said, kids tend to want to morph more towards playing points tournaments whether that's whether that's entirely kids wanting to do that whether that comes 
more from parents pushing their kids to play tournaments because, I don't know, we all want, I guess we all strive for success. We all want our kids to be successful. Um, whether that's, you know, whether that's parents being too hard on their kids and pushing them too much. Um, I don't know if you can really ever question that, but at the same time, sometimes I don't know how healthy that can be. Um, it's it's difficult for kids that under constant pressure, I think you see at a representative level, um, kids come and play for the region of our local region and they bond together in a team environment and it's fantastic to see. Um, they go to tournaments and they, I feel, I feel like what I see is that they're very isolated. Um, you often get kids that if they're not amongst the group or amongst the, you know, the in crowd that often are left on the outside. Um, it can be as, as simple as going to a tournament, losing your first round, going home. And, and I'm not sure that's great. I'm not sure. I think it's kids are there to learn and they're to learn, go through the process um, but I'm not sure how, in the long run, how good that is for some kids to, maybe they're not as, as talented as some certain kids, um, and they don't lose, they don't lose that sort of desire, but at the same time, they, you know, they can get dejected down pretty quickly, losing first round matches or losing matches that maybe you should have, should have won. The pressure, you know, the added pressure maybe coming from the sidelines, um, you know, I think I've got a feeling that we tend to lose kids maybe to the sport sometimes because of that. Um, whether, I don't know whether it's all parents fault, but, uh, I don't know, I've certainly seen some parents that you feel like, you know, they'd rather be out on the court than the kid. Um, and that often is, I think an ugly part of our sport. I don't know if, you know, people really want to talk about it, but I think it's a pretty ugly part of our sport. And I don't know, I don't know if there's a way to fix that. I think obviously we have a lot of we have a a pathway in our sport where coaches are, are wanting their students to do really well. Um, parents are often you know often wanting their coaches of their kids to be pushing them to be doing the right things um, that they think is necessary to get the edge up. And in the end, really, if you know, if it doesn't happen, the questions get asked. Often kids, you know, can quite easily have been with a coach for so long and because the success is not coming, um, you know, it only takes it only takes a conversation on the end of a court or a conversation between two parents for a, a coach to lose a student. And it's all intertwined really and it's something that I think is very difficult to understand. It's also very difficult to try and you know to try and change things you know to be whether it's better whether it's whether it's you know there's a a different way in which things can happen I, I don't really think there's a silver bullet but I think we have to be mindful of how we go about it and how you know how clubs can have an important role in in kids enjoying the game I know there's, you know, I know coaches, I've spoken to some coaches who at times have volatile relationships with clubs and committees. There are, you know, you can argue that there's some, there are some committees that, that aren't necessarily, you know, aren't necessarily driven by the right things. Maybe it's, it's about, 
what's good for them and for being involved in the club at the time, but for the long-term future of the club and how does that how does that work? It's it's interesting to see that some coaches have had problems with club committees, whereas on the other hand, you've also got clubs and coaches that have a great relationship um, and that you know have fantastic success in all aspects. And their relationships have been built over many, many years. So it's a really interesting subject. Um, there's been a lot of talk. I know there's a, a really good tennis uh, forum, a discussion page on Facebook, um, Australian Tennis Community Forum, I think it is, um, which I like to have a bit of a read about certain issues from time to time. Some really good people on there that know their stuff. Um and the people that admin the page are fantastic. Angie Harper, she does a great job on that. Um, there's been some, and as I said, there's been some really interesting um, discussion about that in the recent, in the last recent few weeks. Um, another topic which is which has also been interesting, which I've found interesting to read about, is about um, I guess about kids in tournaments and line calls, and it's one of those. It's one of those old sort of topics that it happens all the time and people, you know, people claim that there are certain certain things that go on out at tournaments where there are kids that, you know, to use that word cheat. Um, cheating's an interesting word because I don't, I have an interesting take on this and I don't know if people will agree with me or not. If I, I'd like to hear people's thoughts on it. You can more than welcome to comment. As I said, you can comment through our social media channels at any time but my take on cheating is is a little bit maybe a little bit different to to some some people you will go to tournaments or you'll go to a you'll go to a even at club tennis in finals especially when the emotions run high people you know first you'll hear people straight away say ah oh, we had a really good day we lost but geez i tell you what that kid in that match he was he was cheating on a, on so many line calls and it's often it's often a topic um, or a line that we, sorry, I should say a line, not a topic, but a line that we hear used all the time. Now, I, I find it interesting because for one thing is that I don't know if, if you really have genuinely have kids who you can claim are just, uh, there that, that kid's a cheat. I mean, it's a, it's a big, it's a big label to put on a kid who might be only 12 or 14, the question is, has that kid in that match or that particular moment cheated? Well, maybe he did. Maybe he called a ball out that was that hit the back of the line. And, you know, some of these kids can hit the ball at a decent pace at, at 12, 14 years of age. So there's no umpires on the court often. It's a line call. It's at their end. The kid calls the ball. Whether he's called the ball right or wrong, um, I think it's interesting in that Sometimes in pressure situations, for one, a kid often will, will maybe want the ball to be out more than, more than anything, and often that can often lead to probably what I would call a mistake rather than actually cheating. Whether it's intentional in their mind, some people might argue that on, my, on my opinion here that, oh, that kid, every time we played that kid, he always cheats. He definitely is a, he is a cheater. And maybe that's so. Maybe there are some kids out there that you know they they are so ruthless that they will they will absolutely hook people on calls. It's possible. It's definitely possible. It's not a. It's a plausible you know reason to say that there are definitely kids out there that do that. Um, 
However, I don't know in all situations if that happens. I know I've seen I've seen kids call balls out because they want the in pressure situations, and like I said, in tournaments or you know where it's match point, and they want to win so badly that they think the ball's out, even though it it looked out to them. So it has to be out, but necessarily means that they're a cheater. It might just mean that in the pressure of that situation, they've called the ball out because they thought it was out, and maybe the emotion got a bit uh, got to them at that time, and you know, the adrenaline's rushing and they've just gone, oh, yep, that was out. And if they look back on it now, I've, I've, I reckon I've seen a handful of kids that they've come off the court and said, geez, maybe maybe it was it, maybe it was in, you know, almost regret. And I think it's pretty harsh to maybe call a kid a cheat in those situations because, you know, it's all good if it's our kid that's at the other end who's copped at the bad end of it or, you know, it's your team that's that's not benefited from benefited from you know that point or whatever but you're talking about young kids and I know I've seen some people come off and say oh that that kid's terrible that kid's terrible but the kid's actually a really nice kid and we have to be really careful in terms of you know how we go about how we go about talking about kids like that because often it becomes it then you know words travel around people you know get get angry with each other because, you know, oh, you, that person said that my kid was a cheat. And then all of a sudden it, it, it escalates. And I think it's really tough to be sort of, you know, labeling kids like that. Um, another, another side to this as well is also that you have kids out on the court. And we talked about, I talked about points a, f- a few minutes ago about points tournaments. And, you, and, and I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to try and label, you know, parents to be evil because not because there's plenty of parents who are not obviously but you also have kids out on the court that I know I can at least give you one example of I know for a fact a parent told a kid that that not person I know but I know of many years ago now um who said who actually told their child if the ball's close call it out and so you have a situation where you have a parent telling a child that and and I and again we come back to the how much influence does that pressure then have on the child because the the obviously the pressure from the outside is greater than almost what's on the inside of the court and so that becomes a real problem for the game and it becomes a real problem for the kids and then obviously as I said things escalate and so I think we have to be really careful um, in not only being careful on how we how we label kids you know, just saying that, that they cheat. But there's also outside influences as to maybe why they do. And that's kind of my take on it a little bit. I don't necessarily think you can just automatically say, kids are cheats. Oh, that, that kid's a cheat. He's, he's no good. I mean, you know, you have to look at the situation. And I think a lot, a lot of it comes back to what I talked about before about the points tournaments and about the points and the pressure to want to, to, want to succeed. So it's a very difficult situation. And I think... You know, I don't really know. Again, it's one of those things that there's always a lot of debate about, but I don't really know if there's there's a particular answer. I think it's more about education, about educating kids that, you know, it, the game is, while every, as I said earlier, while everyone wants kids to do well, especially if it's your kid or if it's your kid from your club, your team from your club, whether it's a representative team representing my association that I look after event events for, um, we all want the kids to do well, but at the end of the day, we also, you know, we want people to enjoy the sport as well. So 
that's just a bit of my take on what I think about a couple of these topics. I don't, I don't know. Like I said, I don't, I'm not an expert. I, uh, my, <laughs> my most, most success I've ever had in my life was winning a Tullamarine Indoor Tournament when I was a kid. I did all right, but you know, I'm certainly no expert. So it's just, uh, I've seen, I, I guess I've, I've tried to excel more in the administration level of the game over the years and I've got to watch a lot of tennis. I've, I like to, I think I know something about strategy in terms of the game. Um, but it's certainly, you know, I don't claim to be an expert. So it's just a bit of a topic of discussion for Sets in the City podcast. Um, as I said, feel free to comment on any of any of these, I guess, these opinions tonight that I'm, that I'm bringing to you. Um, I'm more than happy to, you know, to have discussion or people to ask questions about some about things we can have on on future podcasts um i want to try and get for future episodes i want to try and you know have people interact in this show i want to try and um over the course of time interview people from uh, all all lives of all sort of aspects of i guess of the game um there's some really we have some really good people in this area um there's a lot of good people doing good things in tennis in our area we're pretty lucky um, so I hope to have, I've been saying this for ages now, but I really hope to have, uh, Matt Gregory and his wife, who's a former WTA player, um, or maybe semi-retired, uh, Pearson, and hopefully we can have a great chat. Matt's a fantastic bloke. Um, he barracks for the wrong NFL team, but that's okay. Um, but Pierce is fantastic. She's got a lot of knowledge. She brings a lot of knowledge, um, to the kids at Tails Lake that Tails Lakes that she's involved in. Um, and I've also got, there's plenty of other people who are more than happy to hear from people if they want to get involved in the show. Um, all you need to do is drop me a line on either, on either any of the social media channels that are involved in. You can get me, as I said, um, we're on Sets in the City on Instagram, uh, Facebook and Twitter. Um, or you can reach me through um, setsinthecity.com our website. We've got an email address there. Um, more than happy to take your questions, um, comments, anything you want to talk about. Uh, we hope to have, I want to, as I said earlier in this episode, I want to get more consistent in uploading episodes so that people can get involved in, um, this show. Um, it's all a bit of fun. It's something that I, you know, I've been working on for, for a couple of years now, but pretty time poor at, at stages with work. Um, and a couple of people that sort of pushed me along the way to do this. So um, look forward to ha- having more people involved and enjoying listening to us talk rubbish about tennis pretty much. Um, quick shout out before I go tonight. I want to say a, a big congratulations to my great mate and brother, Matty Fan on, on the birth of his first child today. Uh, Matty, well done, mate. <laughs> well done to your wife as well. Um, look forward to catching up with you soon and nothing but love, mate. So congratulations. Um, thanks everyone for listening. It's been not a long podcast tonight, but, uh, thought I would just crack on and do one tonight on my own. Um, so we will catch up soon and hope to, uh, hope to have you hearing us soon.